I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We leave it all in the ring, alongside the episode of NXT that originally aired on August 14th, 2014. This week, professional wrestling, y'all. It's very good. I need to be reminded of that sometimes. It is simultaneously the greatest thing in the world and terrible. But whenever it is the greatest thing in the world, guys, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing in the world. Welcome to episode 65 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we watched Sami Zayn dance with Adam Rose, mm-hmm. recontextualized Eva Marie, and caught up with Jason Jordan wrestling detective. So uh, there was a lot of dumb shit, <laughs> and it was <laughs> delightful and fun. This episode is a different kind of fun, specifically the kind that happens in the ring between the bells. Uh, There's a lot of wrestling in this one. Personally, I thought it was fucking great. I did not expect to be like doing that kind of intro for a non-takeover episode of NXT where it's like, oh my God, this is restored by faith in wrestling. (laughs) But honestly, like I've been having so much trouble with what wrestling is currently right now in this specific moment, like specifically because like if you didn't know, NXT here in 2022 is in the process of being thoroughly dismantled and destroyed. Yeah, it's very Uh, sad. I have been very optimistic about it over the course of the last couple of years, uh, since the move to USA into two hours to oppose AEW, since the whole 2.0 thing and all the firings and like, but now they just fired William Regal and Samoa Joe and everybody who like makes that show what it is. So now it officially seems like it's over and it's like something completely different now. And I'm having a lot of feelings about that. And so watching this episode of NXT, like again, I didn't expect to be able to get this kind of catharsis from anything that wasn't a takeover. I love a random episode. Sometimes takeovers are like, that's too much narrative weight. Don't like that. I frequently go back and watch takeovers and they give me the the jolt of love for wrestling that I need mm-hmm. to support my insane investment in this stupid sport. <laughs> but this episode really did it for me. And uh, we'll see if Bob feels the same way or whether or not they agree on some things, disagree on others, all of that in Bob's breakdown. After which we'll hit the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Provide one lucky performer with the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment <laughs> to the Bit. Hear a tag team-centric fanfic from Megan Bob and take another trip through the pages of wrestling history. Yeah! Before going home with the cheap pop quiz. But first, we need to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob comes into this one with four points. So let's see if they were able to boost that total at all and slink ever closer to that next romance novel bonus episode. Oh, I have a fan. I'm coquettishly holding it (laughs) over my face. That next episode will never see it coming. Question number one. I'm sorry, did you think just because the tag team tournament started already that we were done hastily throwing teams together? Oh, oh, by no means. (laughs) 
Which former jobber has a new tag team partner who we're meeting for the first time and thus has somehow gotten into the tournament? Is it A, Baron Corbin, B, Wesley Blake, C, Steve Cutler, D, Aaron Solo, or E, Angelo Dawkins? Bob, you went with A, Baron Corbin, which is a reasonable choice to make. I know you know he's coming. He is. I know you I've know that his him. like next form is on its way, and he will be here very soon. But that is not the correct answer in this case. The correct answer in this case is B. Wesley Blake, who's no longer a cowboy, I guess. Who's no longer a cowboy? That's correct. <laughs> Question number two: The next episode features the official tag team tournament debut of the team of Mojo Rawley and Bull Dempsey, whose demise Bob has already predicted. How does that match end? Is it A, they defeat their opponents easily and appear to be working well together? If any blow-up between them is happening, it's still on the slow burn setting. B, they win, but they're not a cohesive unit, with both men tagging themselves in and trying to one-up each other, and it's obvious their partnership isn't long for this world. C, their tempers explode during the match, and they end up ignoring their opponents and fighting each other all the way to the back. The match is ruled a no contest. D, Bull gets pinned to lose the match, and when Mojo tries to comfort him and tell him they'll have another chance someday, a frustrated Bull beats the dog shit out of him. Or E, Mojo gets pinned to lose the match, and Bull beats the dog shit out of him because he sucks and was a legitimately terrible tag team partner, prompting the crowd to begin chanting, Thank you, Bull. Bob, you went with E on that one. Oh, yeah! And that was correct. <laughs> yay! I mean, boo, because it was kind of sad, but also yay for a point. And question number three. On the next episode, Tyler Breeze challenges Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship. How does that match end? A. Neville retains cleanly with the red arrow and is still your NXT Champion. B. Breeze wins cleanly with the beauty shot and is your new NXT Champion. C. Neville wins by countout after Breeze misses the beauty shot while outside the ring and ends up crashing into the ring post. D, the match ends in a double countout when Neville and Breeze superkick one another at the same time <laughs> while outside the ring. Uh. Or E, Neville wins by disqualification when Tyson Kidd interferes and attacks him. Bob, you've seen some wrestling in your time. I have. At this point, uh, you're no longer a neophyte. You are a certified member of the wrestling fandom, I think we can we can say. This is episode 65. We're on our third year of this something. podcast. <laughs> You knew that the double super kick outside the ring to end in a double countdown is a thing that happens, and so you went with D. Can't fault you for that one. However, the correct answer was E. Neville wins by disqualification when Tyson Kidd interferes and attacks him. We will get to it. I should have known that it wasn't going to be a double like super kick because that's too silly for NXT in some ways for a match that means a lot. <laughs> in other promotions, they go, no, no, we'll end a main event like that. <laughs> yeah, they'll totally correct me if I'm wrong because you watch more AEW than me, but that feels very AEW or WWE main roster. It could show yes. up in either of the two. Yes, 100%. And I enjoy that level of dumb. I yeah. like a lot of dumb in my stuff. I, I want more <laughs> like I have to buy dumb sprinkles to put on things. Well, Bob, I think it's time for you to put your dumb sprinkles on this episode because yeah! it's time for Bob's breakdown. Sprinkle, sprinkle, sprinkle. We're heading into our podcast golden years here at 65. That's right. I think once we hit 100, we probably gain superpowers. So 
in order to prepare for that, I think now that we're in these golden years, we have to be eating a sensible amount of fiber. So mm. I hope Damn you've it. got some, some flax seed handy. So our commentary team for this episode is Byron Saxton, Renee Young, and Tom Phillips. And Miles, in these latter, you know, episodes, I find myself occasionally looking fondly out a window or standing by the back door and going, I hope that Brad Maddox, wherever he is, I hope he's happy. Yeah, me too. I hope he's in a good place in his life. What a special man he was, I say now in retrospect. Right. (laughs) Not able to appreciate it always at the time. But in retrospect, you look back on Brad Maddox and you're like, oh man, there went a good one. Yeah. We get a big revisit of the feud between Neville and Breeze. Oh, it's been a feud. It's, it feels like one-sided because Neville, I guess, I'm sure they, Neville made a your mom joke. Congratulations. I feel like that does not make it not one-sided because Neville's like, no, that's cool. We can fight now. And Breeze is like, no, I'm not ready. And Neville's like, well, I mean, we can fight now. He's like, no. And it doesn't feel fiery hot. Like Neville's going, I can't wait to, you know, beat this guy. Maybe that's a baby face thing and he's not allowed to be excited about it. Look, Tyler Breeze submitted his film for an Oscar, okay? That was a feud. (laughs) Neville, you know, throughout all this, he just looks really excited for a good match. But what we get for match one, Bull Dempsey strides to the ring, ready to kick ass. Raleigh sprints to the ring, ready to chase a tennis ball. (laughs) And then, the Vaughn Villains! Yay! Yay! Ah, they're tremendous. And then the match starts. Bull makes a start against Aiden English, but tags in Raleigh, I guess on the strength of all Raleigh's past successes, no doubt. (laughs) English glorying in this whole thing. Raleigh is a blank slate, a canvas upon which masterpieces can be created. As long as he holds still while Aiden English traps Raleigh's arm in an awkward twist with his feet. Then English (laughs) bows magnanimously and falls back, wrenching Raleigh's shoulder socket. Trade off to Gotch, who keeps Raleigh's arm twisted up and just does some squats to celebrate the occasion. Raleigh escapes to the sucker of Dempsey, who takes over to club Gotch into a red mist. And then Raleigh tags himself in. Bull's doing well. Let's make that very clear. Bull is doing well. There is no reason for this. Raleigh tags himself in. The thread holding this thing together grows ever more taut. Raleigh launches himself at Gotch in the corner, but Gotch dodges. Lifted up by an opportunistic gotch, Raleigh is brought to the villain's corner and smooshed with one senton, and then another That's like by a English. forward roll senton, yeah. Yes, and then another by English, who is really taking years off my fucking life at this point, with his <laughs> refusal to do the flip before he absolutely has to. Ugh. English pins Raleigh and is victorious with the three count. The jangly piano starts up and the camera switches to the face of Bull Dempsey doing his best outraged hamster impression. The vaudevillains depart, leaving Dempsey and Raleigh alone in the ring. The thread creaks ominously under the weight of this foreshadowing. (laughs) And then a fucking clothesline to the throat from Dempsey. Raleigh goes down to the roar of the crowd. Dempsey stomps, smacks, and claws at his former tag team partner as the crowd takes up a boisterous, thank you, Bull, thank you, Bull, chant. Close camera on the face of Dempsey is going, eh, that's not really what I expected, but uh, okay, whatever you people say. 
<laughs> he acts like he's going to leave. And then bulldozer, his big old pick him up, smash him down move. And then bull, bull, bull. Okay, Miles. Yeah. Were you, as a learned wrestleman, expecting the audience to just turn on Raleigh like that? Because there are still some Raleigh signs in the audience. I was kind of like, wait, what? I didn't think you were this ready for Raleigh to be done. I mean, I wasn't like expecting it, expecting it, but like, I'm not surprised by it. The way this was set up, and I'll talk about that more a little bit later, I think it really allows for this kind of reaction. I think that Raleigh really has kind of run his course in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. The NXT audience at the time was kind of ready to get behind the new guy, you know, mm. and uh, and, you know, audiences love a turn. You know, the, the crowd <laughs> loves a, the crowd loves a good like surprise attack. Right. Oh, so, man, it's true. I'm a sucker for a surprise I see coming. Yeah, exactly. That's my favorite exactly. kind. Oh, man. like that's what wrestling does so well. It builds anticipation to the thing until you're like, wait, are they going to do the thing? Are they going to? Oh, God, they did it. It's, you know? Yeah, it's a very weird dynamic where it's like oh no there's been foreshadowing i did this once in a psychology class we were learning about like um kind of human responses and like in particular i think kind of our our response to like anticipation and things that where we we are know the cause and effect of something and so we have a really firm relationship with it yeah. and so there was a balloon and everybody knows, like, everybody doesn't like the sound of a balloon popping, or very few people like it. And so I was given the balloon, and they were like, okay, all right, you be the one to pop it. And so what I did was I grabbed the needle, and I just started, like, stroking it along the balloon, <laughs> like, very slowly and glaring at everybody, and, like, <laughs> didn't do it, and didn't do it. And they were finally like, why are you doing this? And then I just popped it. <laughs> I yeah, was like, I mean, it's no, like, that's it's the tension. You got to have it. Yeah. What's, it's the seasoning on this terrible experience. Like you, Bob, the audience knew this was coming. And I think that they kind of knew what they were going to do if and when it happened. Okay. You know, it was like, fuck this guy. Fuck this Raleigh guy. And like the way the turn happened, like I said, played really well into it. Yeah, if he had not tagged himself in, I guess I would have felt differently about it. It would have been like, ah, oh, bull, now you're just bullying him. But, you know, right. you're now you're giving comeuppance. I feel like there is a lot of things in wrestling that is about, like, the perceived deservedness of various things. And, like, mm -hmm. a weird concept of what justice looks like at all times is kind of hanging over everything. It's bizarre. Yeah, I agree. Backstage. Bailey doesn't even have the chance to speak, which makes it very weird when Sasha <laughs> asks the dreaded question, who do you think you are? I'm Bailey, which is the best possible answer to that question. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't ever want anybody to ask me, who do you think you are? Because I that would imply that I've done something terrible. But I'm glad that I have a, a ready answer now. I'm Bob. Yeah, and then it'll be like, you know, you fucked up big time, though. And I'll be like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no, this wasn't a fun opportunity for a bon mot. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Sasha warns Bailey off, thinking she has a chance to take the championship ahead of Sasha. Bailey's like, look, your choice of friends isn't my fault. Sasha doesn't take it well and lets Bailey know that she's going down tonight. So get ready. Add Cena versus Brock Lesnar. Hey, Miles, Miles. Yeah. Why is Brock Lesnar anything? I mean, that's a big question. <laughs> he looks, he looks like 
a mashed potato monster with like some little <laughs> drawn on eyes. Uh, Brock Lesnar is anything because he was a collegiate wrestler who WWE brought into their developmental system in, I want to say the early, I mean, yeah, it's gotta be the early 2000s. And they almost immediately brought him up and had him kill everybody. Like, well, like Brock Lesnar has had like numerous stints in WWE and in all of them, he's been a big fucking deal. Like he's never, ever been portrayed as not a big deal. Like he came in his first year, beat everybody and won the championship. And he was like, he was just kind of that for a while. And then he fucking quit the company. (laughs) He like quit wrestling to go try and play football. And that didn't work out for him. So like he came back and then like he left again to like do UFC. And then he came back because that didn't really work out for him. So like he's a big deal now because he has a lot of history in WWE. He's never been portrayed as anything less than like a champion quality wrestler. And he also has crossover market appeal uh, because of his UFC stuff and his football stuff and like the rest of his athletic endeavors. And he's he's an attraction like he's a star attraction. People pay money to see him do things. That's just that's how it is. But is he good? I think that when Brock puts in the effort, he's a uh. really fantastic wrestler. Oh. The problem is that he doesn't always give a fuck. And it's very clear when he doesn't give a fuck. And it doesn't always like the way that WWE works these days. Like they don't always need him to give a fuck. They just need him to show up. Mm. You know, they're counting on the fact that just Brock showing up is going to move the needle, you know, is going to do numbers. So like. But when he actually cares, when he's invested in something, like, he's a really, really excellent wrestler. Oh, okay. I thought he was just, like, a talentless monster that they used. No. But, okay, all right, that's good to know. Because I was like, well, I never want to see a Brock Lesnar match, because who cares? But now I'm like, oh, I would be interested to see him give a fuck. I'll show you some ones where it gives a fuck if you want sometime. Uh, we'll do another watch party at some point. Yeah. And uh, and we'll do that. But yeah, he's he can really do good work in the ring. And the problem is that, that like every time he shows up now, it's like, oh, OK, well, we were really hoping that like one of these other people that we liked who was getting like, you know, Big E was like in the middle of his title run. And now it's like Lesnar shows up again and wins. It's like, OK, well, great. Cool. So the same old shit, you know, yeah. at this point with Brock. But I mean, there is a reason that they do that with him. And there's a reason that he's worth so much money to them. OK, mashed potato man. <laughs> Add Slam City <laughs> Miles. What yeah. the fuck am I looking at? What am I looking at? <laughs> like the this quasi claymation nightmare, this coughed up, half remembered dream of celebrity kill death match thing that used to be on MTV, except now it's weirder. What what is this? I mean, I never watched it. It's one of the shows that they were doing to like promote the network because the whole thing about the network at first, like in the beginning, was that you get the entire library of WWE history, but also we're going to run all these new shows. That's why you had mm-hmm. Legends House, and that's why you had like, you know, all this other shit that they were doing. Um, so periodically over the course of our coverage during this era, you're going to see more commercials for weird new shows that they're putting up on the network. This one, according to Wikipedia, uh, filmed in the next generation of stop motion animation features a new WWE animated character, the finisher who fires all of the WWE wrestlers and sends them to slam city to find day jobs. Uh, the wrestlers are plunged into new career challenges as they pack every street corner with work to do and scores to settle. It features John Cena as an auto mechanic, 
Rey Mysterio as a traffic guard, Alberto Del Rio as a coffeehouse barista, Mark Henry as a pizza shop mascot, CM Punk as an ice cream man, because <gasps> of course, Dolph Ziggler as an industry leader, Randy Orton as a zookeeper, <laughs> Kane as a chef, and Sheamus as a theater usher. Daniel Bryan, The Miz, Big Show, Brock Lesnar, Santino Morella, and Damian Sandow are still jobless, but Santino and Sandow are the most desperate to find one. WWE legends Stone Cold and The Rock are also featured in Slam City. It's based on the Mattel line of action figures, basically. So, yeah, I I have no idea if any of the wrestlers actually voiced these characters, but I'm going to go with no, they did not. Oh, seriously? I bet they did. Yeah, no, none of the actual wrestlers' voices were involved Oh, well, fuck this show then. Yeah. Boo. All right. Well, now not boo. Match two. Lady Whistledown's match report. You would be hard-pressed to find a member of the town not instantly delighted by the addition of Lady Bailey to any rout, ball, or bout. And tonight's affair is no different. Her arrival is greeted with appreciation from the assembly. The arrival of one of her rivals, Lady Banks, is treated with more fraught feelings. The history between these two is well known amongst the town. Former friends turned rivals by the cruelties of competition and made crueler yet by Charlotte abandoning the side of Lady Banks. Both find themselves alone and friendless for this match, but for very different reasons. Doubtless, Miss Rebecca Lynch would be here to support Lady Bailey if permitted. Lady Banks is alone due to her choice and fair-weather friends. The gathering chants some rude and tasteless things about Lady Banks, but the moment Mm. the bout begins in earnest, the chant becomes about how Lady Bailey will embrace Lady Banks. (laughs) They appear quite evenly matched and trade rapid moves and even more rapid pin attempts. The ton's threat of an embrace from Bailey does come true, though, as Lady Bailey hugs Lady Banks and drives her into the corner. Lady Banks cares little for this and seeks to crawl away towards the safety of the outside. Lady Bailey manages to drag her prone form back twice, but the third time, Lady Banks does escape. She's able to capitalize on it when Lady Bailey risks coming to the ropes and is able to trip up Lady Bailey and get her to the mat. Lady Banks is firmly in control now and begins a campaign of cruelties that astonished even this rider, who is well-versed in the ways of the taunt and has seen many a vicious slight. The brutality of Lady Banks hints that even if she does not take the victory tonight, Her former friends would be unwise to overlook the threat she presents. The gathering again chants that Lady Banks is, quote, ratchet, a claim which this writer finds both spurious and déclassé in the extreme. (laughs) Indeed. Lady Banks executes her backstabber, driving knees into the back of Lady Bailey and following it up with her submission, the Banks Statement. It seems all over, but in a stroke of astonishing brilliance, Lady Bailey rolls Lady Banks under and manages to pin her for a full three count. A promising outcome for Lady Bailey to be sure, but the arrival of her former acquaintance, Lady Charlotte Flair, adds a touch of threat to the victory. Lady Flair mockingly holds up Lady Bailey's hand in victory before walking away. Lady Bailey offered nothing but a determined point at the women's championship belt. Whatever will this mean for Lady Banks? What lies ahead for Lady Bailey? Well, barring an outbreak of fisticuffs in the midst of the next musicale, we shall have to bide our time a little longer for answers. Mm, Thank you, Lady Whistledown. As always, Miles. 
Match number three, tag team action. Kalisto and Sin Cara square off against this guy and somebody else. <laughs> okay, no, they have names. It's uh, it's Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy. Can I tell them apart? No, I can't. <laughs> one well, of them, so. Okay, yeah. yeah, what's the secret? The secret is that one of them has, if you look at the flutter one. Flutter shorts, right? Yes, the flutter shorts. That's Buddy Murphy. And Buddy Murphy was going to wear those his entire career, so you could always rely on it. All right. Flutter shorts, man. Okay, I did not differentiate them in this thing, because this match is basically checking off a box for Kalisto and Sin Cara because there are simply not enough tag teams. So, nope. take it from me, Sin Cara and Kalisto win handily. These are the highlights. Sin Cara throws a guy across the ring with his feet. Kalisto does the prettiest float over Ever. It's like he weighs nothing. It's like he is one half of a hummingbird. Sincara sort of throws Kalisto so he falls down back first onto one of the other guys. The giantest double crossbody from Sincara, like he's coming in from outer space. Then we get a drop yeah. kick from outer space. They are not afraid to fall from a great height. It is extraordinary. Then that cool backflip into a splits that destroys one of the guys. Could have been either. Impossible to know for sure. I believe it's Murphy. I believe it's Murphy. And then the part that really matters, the part that is crucial to talk about, I feel like, Mm. is how NXT basically just went, Wesley Blake and Buddy Murphy are definitely a real tag team. They're really, no, they're a part of our core roster. You just haven't seen them in matches. Oh, no, they're definitely a real thing. And we're not making any of this up. So they're 100% a thing. They've had tons of matches together. You probably just didn't see them. Like you went to the other room and you just missed it, but they've been tag teaming this whole time. And I don't know why you haven't seen them. (laughs) And it is, it's astonishing to watch NXT retcon in real time and go like, no, no, this has been going on the whole time, but it's all off screen or something. And you're like, but, but it hasn't though. No, No, it has. You have to love how, like, every time they decide to actually do something with one of these jobbers, like, once you graduate from jobber status, we're going to forget about everything you did before. So, like, they're actually doing something with Blake now, so he doesn't get to be a cowboy anymore. Oh, yeah. Which I miss. The cowboy thing, at least I knew what that was. Now I'm just like, oh, you're this guy. And I actually had forgotten that we had seen Buddy Murphy once oh, yeah. before. I thought he was new to our coverage, but oh. uh, he was one half of an Ascension feeding a number of episodes ago. <laughs> so uh, How we have I forget a him. name like Buddy Murphy. That's right. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> He's yeah, the now champion they are. of the local bowling league. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's actually Australian. Oh, what? Um, yeah. Murphy and Blake are uh, apparently a tag team now. And they come out to dubstep, and that's all you need to know about them at the immediate moment. All right. Backstage, the Legionnaires. This tournament is a sham. Enzo and Cass advances. Is this supposed to be a joke? They are nothing. If you ask the Legionnaires, those two are just a little. Come see, come sa. I do not fucking know what that means. It means like so-so. That's what I thought, but I was like, yeah. they say it like it's such a fucking burn. And I was like, I was going to say <laughs> in France, because I know, this, you know, the French has spoken a couple more places. But like, I'm wondering if in French in France, like that is treated as like, oh, fuck you. So it might be because they're they're both like legitimately French. Yeah, I, I don't know if you are familiar with the status of comme si, comme ça as like a sick burn. I would love to know the details about this. So please get at us in whatever way you possibly can. Absolutely. 
Oh, and then they just start mumbling in French and it's awesome and they walk off. And I was like, <laughs> I, I love it whenever two people who speak a different language just start talking to one another and ignore whatever else is going on. They just like leave because they're like, oh, no, we have our own thing and you don't really need to know about it. And it's fine. Yeah. Like you're not involved. I love that. Miles. Yes. The main event. The main event. The championship match between Breeze and Neville, it is finally here. The audience is restless with delight about this whole thing. Neville looks like the oiliest hobbit he's ever been. It's beautiful. (laughs) I was expecting something good, but like ordinary good. But no, there is something at work here. Neville gets Breeze to retreat to the ropes for a break almost immediately And then when Breeze is back up, Neville does this stiff, like, mule kick on him. And then Mm -hmm. Breeze bends in half from the impact. Neville kicks him sharply in the snoot to drive him back upright. And I was like, I know this moveset. I am used to seeing this from heel Neville on AEW. Mm. He is being relentless and brutal right out of the gate. And it is so fucking cool. I love this side of him. Neville leaps to the top rope with a lightness that would make Legolas seethe with envy. He's going for a move, but Breeze spoils it, so Neville gives him a big forearm. Breeze goes for Neville, but misses him and ends up on the outside. Neville leaps over the top rope to sprinkle some kick juice on Breeze, but Breeze gets there first, sweeps the legs. This match very much follows, at least initially, I think for the most part, this match very much follows the standard wrestling formula of the babyface does well at the beginning and then the heel takes control, right? Mm-hmm. And like usually when that happens, I think a part of your brain sometimes is like, really, babyface? Like that one thing happened to you and now they're just like in control and able to like rub your face in the dirt? Like really? That's that thing? This one though? <laughs> Neville jumps to the apron of the rig and Breeze like spring kicks his legs out from under him. So he tumbles off the apron to the floor. I was like, oh, okay. I understand why the heel took control in this one. Yeah. Neville's willingness to go, no, I don't care if I get really bad bruises. That's fine. It's just astonishing. He doesn't care. Is this a good match for that quality to be highlighted? Are we going to see that again maybe later? Oh, Jesus. His willingness to... (laughs) It's weird to me that he's not always injured. That's weird to me (laughs) that he doesn't do like two matches a year. I love him so much. He's extremely good. And then in the half dark of the entrance ramp, a figure walks down the steps to the right of the ramp. He settles into the commentary booth, standing on a chair to watch the proceedings with a clear view. It's Tyson Kidd. In the ring, Breeze is back in control, but Chekhov's gun has entered the picture. You can tell that Breeze is taking it seriously, though, because his hair has fallen completely out of its little top knot. Neville (laughs) is grounded by Breeze, but the camera keeps cutting to Tyson Kidd's face as he stares intently at the action. Neville takes a vengeful throw into the steps before being brought back into the ring for a pin attempt from Breeze. He kicks out, and Breeze cries to the heavens like he's failed at the main quest he was given. (laughs) Neville battles back and grounds Breeze before doing a standing moonsault? A standing something? I don't know. It's a standing shooting star press. And he did it like he just has gravity settings on optional. And I know they say he's the man that gravity forgot, but it's fucking weird to see it. It, He has the thighs of a god. No, he doesn't have the thighs (laughs) of a god. Mere gods tremble before the power of these thighs. 
Neville has thighs that are beyond space and time. These thighs are made from <laughs> eternity itself. There is yeah, nothing uh, they cannot do. <laughs> if you're uh, unfamiliar or don't remember what a shooting star press is, basically what Neville does is from a standing position, he does like a backflip, but he goes, he just goes vertical in the air, does the backflip, comes all the way over and lands on Breeze, who was in front of him, like chest down. So it's a, uh, it's one of the coolest moves in wrestling. And when you can pull it off from a standing position, because most of the time they do it from the top rope. So you have like that much more time to complete the rotation to be able to do it from a standing position is just so ridiculous. I think I've seen it like two other people ever do it. Maybe I've seen a few, but like, yeah, not not a whole lot. And like a lot of times people do it, they try to do it, but it looks like kind of sloppy. You know what I mean? Or it's like hard. they're just going, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to hit my face. And it's like, well, right, you might, yeah, buddy. But like, he does it with fucking clean precision and lands exactly where he means to land. It's just uh, he's incredible. He completes the rotation before he's halfway down. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I, Neville is a weird creature and it's kind of amazing that he exists and I love him very much. And I, I'm glad that he is not injured all the time. Same. Neville goes for a springboard, flying at Breeze, who drop kicks him out of the fucking sky. Pin yep. attempt. But no, they battle on. Neville scores him a super kick on the chin with that beautiful audible crack. Both of them are struggling. Cut to Kid's thoughtful face. Neville goes to the top rope. It's red arrow time, but no. Breeze spoils it and moves in to suplex Neville from the top. Neville headbutts Breeze in the gut. He moves into a sunset flip, rolling over to smash Breeze to the mat. Breeze hates it and treats Neville to the most extraordinarily hateful and hideous DDT I have ever seen. Good Neville God. bounced, bounced off the top of his fucking head, and it was not a botch. That is just how good Adrian Neville is. No, that's what he did. And I think he was like, I think the way he doesn't give himself a concussion there is by having such body control that he's basically doing a flip, right? Yeah. But like the way he makes it look at one point, and I fucking paused it. I paused it to make sure. At one point, that man is standing on the ground like he's got both feet on the ground, but his body, his upper body is entirely bent backward. Yeah. And then fr and from that position, from the position of standing feet first on the ground, entire upper body bent backward, he goes forward. Yeah. He it, goes forward to land on his face. It's extraordinary. It <laughs> this in many ways is just like circus tricks from Adrian Neville. Oh my goodness. So they trade suplex attempts. They trade blows. They end up strewn on the outside. Tyson Kidd moves in closer, standing provocatively close and looking judgment. Super kick to Kidd's face from Neville. That's right. Neville and Breeze make it back into the ring. Breeze is laid out. Neville jumps to the top for the red arrow. Tight shot on him, adjusting his body weight. And then it falters and we pan out to see. Kid has arisen and spoiled the match. Neville falls. The bell goes. This match is a disqualification. Neville has fallen to the mat and Kid descends to deliver a beatdown. And then Breeze. He pulls Kid off to scream in his face that Kid just cost him a victory in the championship. He was going to kick out and push on to win if only Kid hadn't spoiled it all. He pulls Kid's legs out from underneath him and falls down on top of him, delivering forearm blows. 
The two roll around fighting as Neville gets to his feet and starts beating both of them. Until the two heels realize that they have a shared interest, Kit holds Neville in place as Breeze roughs him up. Oh no, poor Neville! But then Sami Zayn runs into the ring! Our POV good good doggo boy runs in! He scares right. off the heels and he helps Neville to his feet. Miles! Was this the greatest match ever? I mean, okay, so the two out of three falls match does exist, but this was so good, and they did it in under 20 fucking minutes. It's really fucking good, and it doesn't feel rushed at all. Like, there's even, like, a whole bit at the beginning where, like, you know, Breeze is working over Neville and kind of slowing things down, but, like, I have more things to say about this later on in the show, but... This was a legitimate contender. This was like a top five match so far, I would say. Yeah, and I have a question. And that's fucking saying something. Is NXT just the master of the shorter banger match? Because I feel like most brands and promotions, like main roster, AEW, oh, I mean, a lot of places, just go like, mm-hmm. well, let's do a 60-minute Iron Man match or whatever at any given point. Right. I'm like, no, the only thing where longer is better is the Royal Rumble. That's it. I think one of the things that NXT is really good at is the shorter banger matches, like the, that real sweet spot, like 20-ish minute match. They take their run like between the 15 minute to the 25 minute mark, somewhere in that kind of range, and they're really good at that particular match pacing. I think later on in NXT, you start to see some a little bit longer stuff. Bloat. Um, you get those really long ass uh, Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole matches a little bit uh, down, later down the road, which are good. Like, don't get me wrong. They're good. But nothing there's needs nothing to be like, that long. Yeah, there's really nothing like a good, well-paced 20 minute wrestling match. You have to do so fucking much to earn my goodwill if you go past 25 minutes. And I say this I'm with, with you full awareness that I'm a goddamn podcaster and I bloat the shit out of everything I do. (laughs) But look, I don't need 15 minutes combined of holds just so you can get to the next big spots. Fuck you. End your match after 20 minutes. It's fine. 30, I can generally tolerate. I've been watching wrestling for a long time. I would like you to be a great match if you're going to 30, but I can handle 30. If you're going over 30, it better be fucking amazing. Or the Royal Rumble. Yeah, the Royal Rumble could be three hours long and I would still be, (laughs) I'd be like, thank God. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. Did you love this episode as much as I did? I don't know if I loved it as much as you did because you fucking loved it, but I... I I really enjoyed it. The only thing that would have made me happier is if more of it had been dumb. Like yeah, sometimes I can see that. Yeah, you know me. I'm like, well, look, nobody came in in a clown car. That's a real problem for me. But Jesus <laughs> Christ, the part of it that was like, this is art with a capital A as far as like creating a compelling performance and telling a story with characters and like multiple motivations and, you know, ongoing motives and all this other stuff. That was. 13 out of 10. One of the best things about this episode is that uh, everybody here is sticking around for a little bit. So Yay! no ringing the bell in this one, which means it's time to go straight into the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Megan Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Butt watch. Butt watch. There's not anything on anybody's butt. 
I just wanted to say that I noticed Bull Dempsey's butt and he's kind of got a bit of a bubble butt and I'm just very happy for him. So there you go. Wow. He's got a nice butt. Dude, <laughs> right on, Bob. <laughs> I thought you were going to, because I almost did a butt wash for this one too. Oh, Because what? I was going to talk about Sin Cara's butt and the fact that the pattern on his pants just like draws the eye directly to his butt crack and then there's like a little silvery circle right over his asshole. <laughs> Jesus. No, what was I doing that I was not noticing that? Oh, man. I mean, to be fair, Sharon noticed it and then told me about it. Oh, God. I've been really lax on my butt watch. No, I just saw Bull Dempsey's nice butt, and I was happy that he has a nice butt, because it's nice to have a nice butt. Yeah, we haven't done butt watch in a while, so it's fun to get one in every yeah. so often. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw... The description of this episode on Peacock. Oh, yes. After TakeOver, as we've sort of been heading toward this match that I knew was coming, Mm -hmm. I've been kind of trying to keep an eye out for, like, which episode it was, but I was having a really hard time because in none of the episode descriptions does it say Neville defends his championship against Tyler Breeze. What the episode description says is Bailey takes on Sasha Banks to determine the number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. Wow. And... While I don't think that match was better than the main event, it was very good. Yeah, it no, was a very there's good match. no fucking way it was better than the main event. No, but it was good. It was really good. If I had to guess as to why this was there, beyond the fact that, like, Neville and Breeze don't work for the company anymore, mm. but I'm pretty sure, like, they're mentioned in other descriptions, in other episode descriptions. I think so. I think the reason this is here is because Sasha versus Bailey is fucking important. Just the concept of Sasha versus Bailey in 2014 is fucking important. This is their sixth singles match since we've been watching, and I believe in, like, NXT history. Sixth already. They've yeah. been in the ring six times against each other. They will go on to do it many, many more times to great acclaim, and then they will go on to form a successful tag team. Their careers are so interwoven. And I'm not the first person to point this out or observe this. Uh, it was talked about in the wrestling media at the time, but... The finish of this match directly builds on the finish of their previous three matches. So How? Can you tell me? I, I don't remember. Yeah, so in an episode that aired back in March, Bailey beat Sasha with a roll-up. Sasha, like, thought she had her. Sasha O'Connor rolled Bailey and thought she had Bailey, but then Bailey like, reversed oh, it into yeah. a quick pin and got the win. Remember that one? Yes. Then, like, a month later, in April, uh, they wrestled again. Bailey hit her with a Bailey to Belly win the match. Mm-hmm. Then after that, in May, during the uh, number one contenders tournament for the women's championship that Charlotte ultimately won, they wrestled and Bailey goes for the Bailey to belly. Sasha counters into the bank statement and taps Bailey out. Mm. In this match, Sasha counters something from Bailey into the bank statement, goes to tap her out. But again, calling back to the very first one, it's like it's, it's like circular. Bailey reverses it into a quick pin and gets gets the win. Oh my god. So like it's the success of storytelling being told over the course of like a number of months over the course of all their singles matches and I just it's amazing. The story of NXT at this point like despite all our love for Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville and Tyler Breeze and Tyson Kidd and everything the real thing happening here from the perspective of the history of wrestling is the four horsewomen, Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey and Becky coming into their own and starting to really make their mark on wrestling and become the stars that they are going to be. Like, I mean, NXT 
ultimately is going to make very few main roster stars. Mm-hmm. But these four women all qualify. And any episode in which, like, one of them wrestles the other one and then Charlotte comes out and, like, gives Bailey a handshake and they point at the title, like, it's going to be important. It's a historical landmark. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that context because I definitely don't remember details like that. And so it's hard for me to see, like, the long-form storytelling unless somebody is going no, no, then this thing happened. Like, it- I mean, other people pointed out, and I, I don't always catch all of it myself, but like, because I'm not that intelligent. Once it's pointed out, you're like, oh, shit. Okay. You know, you see what they're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's good shit. All right, Bob, for this episode, what did your Vulcan ears hear? It's what I didn't hear. And I was kind of confused. Okay. Sammy's entrance music didn't hit until after he'd scared off the heels. And I was like, wait, doesn't their music usually hit as they're running in so the audience can go like ah yay but i was like wait am i wrong or is it because the entrance ramp is too short it like what it varies okay no, it just varies like well what they're trying to do like i think having it not go off right then makes it seem like sammy just like really quickly got to the ring like before oh. anybody had time to notice that he was doing it um whereas a lot of the time you will have that moment where the entrance hits and the crowd can react and then the person comes down That does happen a lot, what you're describing. I think this might actually be a character choice because it makes sense for him to not, like, want to wait for his music to hit to come down. Or also it could just be, like, what they decided to do that time. Who knows? Okay. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? So during the uh, the opening tag, Renee Young mentions that... uh, (laughs) That the Vod villains have been training with the grandsons of the, quote, Boxing Gordon sisters. Mm-hmm. And she cites this as being a famous vaudevillian act. Yes. Uh, I don't know about it being a famous vaudevillian act. I'm not sure where Renee's getting that from. Mm-hmm. But what I believe she's referring to is a 1901 short film called <sighs> The Gordon Sisters Boxing that was filmed by uh, Thomas Edison. Jesus. And... It is just these two women in, like, long dresses and stockings beating the shit out of each other. (laughs) Wow. It's seriously just, like, a minute and a half of these two women in a boxing ring, like, punching each other with this, like, bucolic setting in the background. Wow. (laughs) It's very odd. Hell of a pull from Renee Young. I had never heard of this before. I feel like Renee Young's, we get these like little glimpses of her because she like mentioned that. She mentioned like giant haystacks, all this other stuff. I feel like she has a history with wrestling and like combat sports in general that is like goes back to the turn of the century rather than like is from, oh, it's just from like the late 70s, early 80s. It's weird, but it's awesome. Not vaudevillian, though, I'm pretty sure. You know. Oh, wait, 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 hang on. Maybe they were, actually. You know what, I'm looking this up now. I do see the Boxing Gordon sisters listed uh, under interesting acts of vaudeville. I would pay my finest pennies worth to go see that. There were four of them. Uh, this says they weren't talented in the boxing field. It was amusing to watch women do something that men would usually do. So <laughs> That was a thing? <laughs> like, that was considered entertainment back in the day? Um, no, I'm serious. Okay. So as like, I swear to God, okay, maybe I'm wrong about that. If I'm wrong, don't fucking correct me because I want to be right about this. This is too important. As like a charity event, churches would sometimes have weddings between men. Wow. Really? Yes. With both men like dressed up in like bridal costume stuff. 
And it was like, oh, this is funny and like irreverent and clever and like, haha, men wearing dresses is like the height of entertainment and comedy and like brilliance. And they were like, oh, this will raise money. And now I'm like, oh, my fucking God. Like in some way. We were always preparing for drag race. Like, culturally, <laughs> we've always been going there somehow. I don't know. It's just very odd. I apologize for doubting Renee Young's knowledge of vaudeville acts. I bow to your superior knowledge, Renee. What a weird niche thing to know about, though. That's kind of right. fun. All right, Bob. What did your human heart feel? Mm, weirdly bull dempsey like do i like bull dempsey now is this just eddie kingston methadone and i'm like all right i'll take (laughs) it like i wish eddie kingston was here but this is what i got so you know i don't know i liked bull dempsey for a brief period so you can give yourself permission to do that bob okay yeah and i don't even know why i just am like yeah you make (laughs) sense to me as a character i'm okay with this there you go all right, Miles. I mean, obviously, my human heart also felt that fucking main event. But, like, Miles, yeah. what did your human heart feel? That fucking main event, specifically the finishing sequence, I loved so much. So, after uh, the spot where Neville does the dive onto Breeze from the outside, Tyson approaches the ramp. Tyson <laughs> gets closer. And, like, he's got this look on his face like he's kind of, like, trying to check on them. Are they okay? Oh, no. You know? <laughs> But Adrian Neville, whose established character is that he understands how wrestling works. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I saw people from back in the day, like, bitching about this because, like, oh, Neville's a heel. Why would he just kick kid like that? What the fuck? It's like, because he knows how this works, man. Because he's he's not an idiot. The end. He's a baby face, but he's not stupid. He knows why Tyson's here. So he just kicks him in the face. And like that plays directly into the finish where it's like, you know, you knew Tyson was going to interfere, but your logical brain is kind of going like, well, he might have or he might not have, but Neville just kicked him in the face. So now he's definitely going to interfere <laughs> because fuck you. Uh. So Kid interferes. Then Kid and Breeze start fighting because Breeze is legitimately mad because he just lost his title shot. I loved that. So they fight for a while. Neville gets in on the fight, at which point Breeze and Kid, because they're heels, are like, okay, you know what? I'll deal with you later. And they start ganging up on Neville, which brings Sami Zayn out to make the save. Sami Zayn, who is in the tag team tournament, he's off doing something completely fucking different, but... His established character is that he's friends with Neville. Yeah. And if his friend's getting beaten up in the middle of the ring, he's going to come out and help him because he's Sami Zayn. It's so good. I love it so much. Like, normally, a match like this, I would be mad about a disqualification finish. But the way everything plays together and leads from step A to step B to step C, like, it makes so much sense. And it weirdly enhances the match. And also, I know it's coming, so I can still be excited. <laughs> uh, it's it's extremely good. It is up there, yeah, with the two out of three falls. It's so fucking good. Those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We are going to get into fanfics and wrestling history in a minute. But first, Bob, we have to quickly award one lucky competitor with the Borins Olivier Award for outstanding commitment to the bit. Bob, who's getting your Lawrence Bolivier Award for this episode? I am giving it to Adrian Neville, not because he did anything that you're like, oh, this is, you know, acting with a capital A so much as he doesn't wrestle like 
a quote unquote, a good guy. He wrestles like somebody who understands what wrestling is, like as <laughs> yeah. you say. And so he's like, no, I if I don't fuck Breeze up, he's going to fuck me up. Like there's no, there's no honor here. Like I'm not going to cheat, yeah. but I'm not going to spare him. I'm not stupid. I should like wait for kid to like attack me. Yeah. Yeah. Or like would necessarily wait for him to get up or any of this other yeah. stuff. Like he's always going okay, but you are a threat to me, and so I'm going to deal with this appropriately. And it makes him so fucking compelling to watch because it's like a person instead of just the concept of what a good person would do. Uh, Do you know what I noticed is that he doesn't really do the thing where – he goes for a pin, they kick out, and then he like gets like even briefly upset about it or no, like surprised never. about it. He just immediately transitions into the next thing. Yeah, he made a real character choice to just never do the reaction to a kick yeah. out, and I kind of love that about him. It's I don't amazing. think I've I ever seen him do it in AEW either. That makes sense. Miles, who are you giving your Lawrence Bolivier award to? I'm actually giving mine to Mojo Raleigh. Aww. And that's because Mojo Raleigh was basically sent out to look like a useless idiot and perform that role very well. Yeah. Um, look, this is supposed to be like a, a, a turd, like Bull turning on Mojo and Bull still a heel and Mojo's the face because Bull is an asshole and attacked him. But like, seriously, Mojo just, he tags himself in. Bull has this look on his face like, I dude, I was I was fighting here. And Mojo's like, no, no, I got this. It's okay. And Bull's like, all right, go get him, man. You know, he does. He like, he's, he makes this gesture like, do it. And he goes outside the ring. At which point Mojo immediately gets murked by fucking Gotcha English. Like, it's so fast that Bull doesn't even have time to try and come in and break up the pin. <laughs> and the move that puts Mojo away is an Aiden English senton off the second rope. <laughs> he didn't even go to the top. <laughs> oh, my and then, God. And then Bull's just standing here on the apron going, what the hell? Why do you suck so badly? <laughs> like I said, it made the turn sort of a thing where the crowd kind of had permission to cheer for it and like hate Mojo because he objectively is terrible. But I did want to acknowledge Mojo for being a good soldier and going out there and being that idiot and just being that idiot as best he could, being the best idiot he could be. You know, sometimes you need the person who can go out there and be that. And like, yeah, it's a specific skill to be the person that you're supposed to just go like, oh, fuck you. And not in like a proper heel way, but like just in a get the fuck out of here. And he yeah. he did it. And you know what? Props. He nailed right. it. All right. It's time for wrestling history of the week. But first. We have to hear Bob's fanfic explaining the wrestling term of the week from our last episode, which was, fittingly, Tag Team Cohesion. Bob, take it away. Hunting season came to the ring to a chorus of cheers and a swelling of opera music. Daffy was wearing his usual hunter's cap and Bugs Bunny had on a hunter's vest. Both of them carried water pistols. The music shifted to the languid strings and trilling flute of Poncielli's Dance of the Hours. On the daintiest of tiptoes, a hippo wearing a delicate tutu and her tag team partner, a grinning crocodile, stepped onto the apron. Lulu, the hippo, fluttered her ears sensually and nuzzled the snout of her companion. The crowd hooted in appreciation. Hey, give us a smooch, Doc. Show the audience we got chemistry, Bugs quipped. Daffy scoffed. No thanks, carrot breath. Have a little class for once. Bugs looked deadpan into the nearest camera. 
the match started with the favorite's hunting season in control. The crocodile very much in peril as his beloved Lulu looked on from the apron, tail twitching in concern. Bugs super kicked him into hunting season's corner and tagged in Daffy. Daffy leapt over the top rope and narrowly avoided a surprise roll-up from the crocodile, who transitioned it into an armbar, wrenching Daffy's shoulder. I'm allergic to pain! Save me! He wailed. The crowd <laughs> giggled at his antics as Bugs rolled his eyes and stretched a long ear out to tickle the crocodile's nose until it sneezed and released Daffy. Daffy stood up triumphantly. No one can hold Daffy Duck for long! And then was promptly silenced as Lulu was carried by her reptile lover and then dropped right on top of Daffy's head. He flattened with a wheeze and rolled like a plate to his corner to tag in Bugs. Bugs and Lulu faced off. Lulu batted her eyelashes. Bugs Bunny, long eyelashes appearing from nowhere, batted them back. Lulu coquettishly ducked her head. Bugs, now wearing a long blonde wig, hid one eye behind the fall of hair and tittered. Lulu blew a kiss at Bugs, who caught it, wound up like a pitcher on the mound, and hurled it back at Lulu at 90 miles an hour. Right in the kisser, Bugs grinned. Lulu stumbled back into the ropes. But Bugs hadn't remembered how powerful Lulu was with an Irish whip and was bowled over by the stampeding hippo. He lay on the mat holding up a little R.I.P. sign as Lulu (laughs) rolled on top for the pin. One, counted the referee. Here it comes, Bugs said to the audience. That magic tag team cohesion to spoil the pin attempt. Two, counted the referee. Any second now, just wait and see, Bugs added. <laughs> three, counted the referee. And here it is. Wait, three? Three? Daffy, you missed your cue. You too busy fluffing your feathers to save your tag team partner? Daffy was filing his nails calmly by their corner. No, mm. not too busy to save my tag team partner. Here he comes now. And from the back, Elmer Fudd rushed the stage to beat down the already smooshed Bugs Bunny. Bugs crawled to the mic. You're leaving me for Elmer Fudd? You're even stupider than you look. At least I would have betrayed you to your face, Daffy. What can I say? I like a man that can protect me. He patted the array of foreign objects Elmer invariably carried on his person to take out his prey. (laughs) Oh, and I want gold. I may be a craven little coward, but I'm a greedy craven little coward. The crowd's <laughs> boos thundered. Bugs nodded. And you don't think this is going to have consequences, huh? Consequences, schmonsequences, as long as I'm rich. Well, of course you know, this means war. Suddenly, Bugs was in full military regalia with medals clinking on his chest, advancing wow. menacingly towards Elmer and Daffy. If you want pistols at dawn, Bugs, it's pistols at dawn you'll have, Daffy yelled as they scattered and headed towards the back. Oh, hey, Daffy, a kiss for the road? Bugs did an enormous kiss. Lips the size of a microwave appeared in the air in front of him. Suddenly, he had a bat and connected with an audible crack, sending the lips careening towards Elmer and Daffy, who flew (laughs) into the dark (laughs) curtain of the backstage followed by an enormous crash, the sound of a cat yowling, the scream of an extremely posh woman, and the sound of her hitting the two vigorously with her purse. Bugs winked at the crowd. Ain't I a stinker? Wow. That was really good. Thank That's really you. good. Were those animals from Fantasia? Those were the animals from Fantasia. So the team of hunting season was given to me whole cloth by David Waters. 
and <laughs> gave me the idea that Daffy would inevitably betray Bugs to go with Elmer because he's a moron. And Makes sense. Um, then Natasha specifically asked me for characters from Fantasia. And so nice. I, but I love the hippo. I don't think the hippo has a name. So I just gave her the name Lulu because it seemed like a hippo name. <laughs> yeah. That, I don't believe they're ever named in the, uh, in the movie, but yeah, that was wonderful, Bob. Thank you so much for that Thank fanfic. Thank you. Are you ready for some wrestling history? Yeah, I am so ready for this. We, uh, we finished up the history of women's wrestling with part nine uh, <laughs> on episode 60. Yes. But I want to keep doing wrestling history segments every five episodes. So mm-hmm. that's going to keep happening on episodes that end with five or zero like this one. Fuck so yeah. it is time for Wrestling History of the Week. And your Wrestling History of the Week is... The History of Women's Wrestling Part 10! Yeah! This can't end with nine installments. It just can't. I can't abide the idea of a nine-part series. No, you're correct. It just fundamentally offends my sensibilities. So there had to be a Part 10. And furthermore, this series has, to this point, been focused pretty much entirely on WWE, and for good reason. The original point of the exercise was to place what's happening in the NXT women's division in context, and for that, you're mainly talking about WWE. For this final installment, however, I'd like to take you on a brief tour of women's wrestling history outside WWE. And that starts with someone we haven't really talked about, but who we did use to name one of our patrons. Mildred Burke. So, we don't have time right now to give Mildred Burke her due, but suffice it to say that she was the first female wrestling superstar. She's often called the Ric Flair of women's wrestling. Um, Not just because of her status, but because she decked herself out in furs and diamonds, kind of like Ric Flair did. Together with her husband, the notorious women's wrestling promoter Billy Wolf, she dominated the industry in the 1930s and 1940s. But despite their success... She and Wolf hated each other. He Mm. was one of the biggest pieces of shit wrestling has ever seen, ever. Billy Wolf sucked. I won't even get into all the ways in which he sucked, but there were a lot of them. Yeah, I remember from the documentary that was like, oh, Jesus, you're a monster. Yeah, Lipstick and Dynamite, we covered that in the bonus episode. Yes, Billy Wolf is a piece of shit. By the 1950s, their marriage had ended and their feud began, with Wolf trying to force Burke out of the business with the aid of the newly formed National Wrestling Alliance. Burke's only leverage was that she held the only universally recognized women's championship, and she had held it since 1937, and she refused to lose to either of Wolf's younger protégés, Nell Stewart or June Byers, unless they could beat her for real. Whoa. Wolf had produced a new women's title to try and circumvent Burke's claim, with June Byers crowned after a 13-woman tournament in Baltimore. Uh, It was actually supposed to be Nell Stewart, but then Burke found out about it and leaked to the press that it was going to be Nell Stewart, so they changed it to June Byers. Whoa! But it was obvious to both Wolf and Burke, both of whom were losing tons of money over the course of their war, that women's wrestling needed a unified champion if it was going to continue to draw fans. So in 1954, Burke wrestled Byers in Atlanta in what was supposedly an actual wrestling match. The two out of three falls contest ended in controversy, however. Byers scored the first fall, but neither was able to score another before time ran out. Burke insisted that she hadn't been defeated, so she was still champion, and indeed she was announced as the winner. But Byers pointed out that she was the only one who had actually scored a fall. The NWA ultimately, thanks to Wolf's influence, recognized Byers' claim and her title, which would eventually be won by the fabulous Moolah and sold to Vince McMahon, becoming the WWF Women's Championship. 
Burke, meanwhile, continued to tour with her own title, and in November 1954, she went to Japan, which had only recently been introduced to professional wrestling. And it was Burke who introduced women's wrestling to Japan, where female wrestlers began to be referred to as Joshi. When the Matsunaga brothers launched All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling in the late 60s and early 70s, it was Burke's championship, colloquially known as the Red Belt, that AJW wrestlers fought for. This is actually why the primary championship in World Wondering Stardom, which is the current major Joshi promotion, is also referred to as the Red Belt. Wow. It's in tribute to Mildred Burke's original title. If modern WWE women's champions can trace the murky history of their titles back to Byers, modern Joshi champions can trace theirs back to Burke. AJW is one of the greatest and most legendary promotions in wrestling history. From its inception, it followed a very specific formula. The younger, prettier wrestlers were the babyfaces, and the older, larger wrestlers were the heels. Mm -hmm. Regardless of your role, however, you had to retire when you turned 26. Jesus Christ. This ensured there was always room at the top for the next generation, and also ensured that the top babyfaces stayed young and pretty. The better to market them as pop music sensations, in addition to wrestlers. Yep. A phenomenon that made Joshi one of the most popular wrestling styles in the world. However, the girls were also rigorously trained, and eventually their value as in-ring workers surpassed their value as pop stars. You can actually trace AJW's development along these two axes. In the early days of the 1970s, the standout stars were the beauty pair, who were fine wrestlers, but who were mostly known for being cross-market cultural superstars. They performed their own entrance music in an era where entrance music wasn't even really a thing yet. Whoa. And they inspired the well-known anime franchise, The Dirty Pair. The 1980s were dominated by the Crush Gals, the most popular female tag team of all time, who were great wrestlers and pop culture superstars, and who made Joshi at least as popular in Japan as Hulk Hogan was in the United States. Jesus Christ. In the 1990s, the pop singer element largely fell away from AJW, and the popularity of Joshi waned slightly. But the wrestling became utterly peerless, and the mandatory retirement age was lifted. Mm. 1990s AJW, dominated by the likes of Manami Toyota and Aja Kong, Fuck yeah. is often considered the single greatest era in wrestling history. I mean, they're not wrong. They're not fucking wrong. <laughs> As we've covered on previous episodes, the 1980s and 1990s saw women's wrestling in the United States essentially destroyed by the fabulous Moolah and Vince McMahon. But don't let anyone tell you that women's wrestling during that time period was bad, wasn't popular, or didn't exist. It absolutely existed, it was exceptionally popular, and it was one of the best in-ring products the industry has ever seen. It just happened in Japan, a country that, to this day, continues to produce some of the best female wrestlers and the best women's wrestling in the world. AJW went bankrupt in 1997 and ultimately folded in 2005, but by that time, their work was done. As of this writing, there have been at least 20 Joshi promotions in the history of Japanese wrestling, 13 of which are still active, and World Wonder Ring Stardom is the premier women's wrestling company in the entire industry. Fuck yeah! So, uh, obviously, I didn't mean to spend this entire segment talking about Joshi, um, but the fact of the matter is, is Joshi's fucking important, yeah. and... Also, I just love talking about women's wrestling, and this shit kind of ballooned on me. So, hey, did I say this was going to be a 10-part series? <laughs> Let's go ahead and make that a 12-part series, shall we? <laughs> so next time, 
we will return to the United States and begin our look at the promotions that kept American women's wrestling alive in the mid to late 2000s after Vince had once again lost interest. We're going to keep doing with women's wrestling history, baby. I just like writing it, so you have to hear it. <laughs> Yay! Well, come back in two weeks for another uh, Megan Bob fanfic explaining all this stuff. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you're going to do that, Bob, but, you know, you'll figure something. You always do. Oh, thank you. That's I'm resourceful. I can craft fanfic out of like bits of lint. So it is time for the end of our show, unfortunately. But Bob, we can't leave before we complete another edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Oh my god, I was so wrapped up in your history, I forgot that we do the Cheap Pop Quiz. Okay, the answer for all of them is Aja Kong. The end. <laughs> Coming in with five points to this one, Bob. So uh, let's see if you can score some more. Question number one. Next episode features the latest appearance of NXT Daddy Triple H, who is here to announce two things. The first thing is that the next TakeOver special will take place on September 11th, 2014, and all three titles will be defended. What's the second thing? Is it A, Triple H himself will be wrestling on that TakeOver special? Ooh. B, Triple H himself will be the special guest referee for the NXT Championship match on that TakeOver special. Hmm. C. NXT General Manager JBL will be the special guest referee for the NXT Championship match at that TakeOver special. D. NXT is actually getting a new General Manager. Or E. NXT is getting a new championship. Well, I want them to throw JBL into the sun. So that's a Okay. Right. But they need a new championship. Well, they don't really have that many people. But at the same time, it's it's a good thing that they had another championship. So I'm going to say E. You're going to say E. NXT is getting a new championship. Question number two. Following up on the end of this episode, next episode also features a match between Tyson Kidd and Tyler Breeze. How does that match end? Is it A, Breeze beats Kidd in a matter of seconds, grabs a microphone, and demands another championship match with Neville <gasps> at the upcoming TakeOver event. B. Kid beats Breeze in a matter of seconds, grabs a microphone, and demands another championship match with Neville at the upcoming TakeOver event. C. Kid defeats Breeze by countout when Breeze deliberately walks out of the match. D. Breeze defeats Kid when Natalia interferes on Breeze's behalf. Or E. The match is ruled a no contest when Neville and Zayn both interfere by attacking both participants. Okay, I don't think the winning and seconds thing happens because I don't think they want to, like, tank the prestige of these two. Okay. Um, I don't want them to make the good boys just attack and interfere like that. But I do want Natalia to, I want the ongoing drama. I want more Lady Whistledown talking about Lady Natalia, so... (laughs) Be the change you want to see in the world. Lady Natalia, step in and defend um, Monsieur Breeze from the continent. All right. Choosing D for that one. And question number three. Finally, there's at least one non-title takeover match that gets set up on the next episode. What match would that be? Is it A, Mojo Rawley versus Bull Dempsey? Oh, Jesus. B, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. C, Enzo Amore versus Sylvester Lafort in a hair versus hair match. <laughs> D, both A and C, or E, all of the above. Uh, A and C. A and C. So you think Mojo and Bull, and you think the hair versus hair match. 
I do. I just don't think they're ready for two women's matches on a on a takeover yet. That's that's fair reasoning, Bob. That's fair reasoning. Sorry, you've taught me too well to be uh, cynical about the progress <laughs> of women's wrestling as it pertains to the WWE. Hoist by my own petard. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back on the next episode to see if Bob scored any more points on this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Thank you. I am here for these hidden bangers. I am very pleased that we are getting to dig into the back catalog and see the stuff that people have forgotten in the onslaught of beautiful takeovers. Let it be recorded for posterity. Megan Bob loves a hidden banger. Just a big fan of the hidden banger. <laughs> I, I feel like that's pretty canonical. <laughs> Well, thank you also to all of our patrons, people who go over to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and give us a little bit of uh, your hard-earned money so that we can help keep the show going. We really appreciate it. Bob, I think without further ado, we should get into the next match in the next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament. Oh, 100%. To start this match, the team of Space and Time come out to riotous booze, Bob. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, they deserve it, kind of. Mad scientist manager Paul Jeffries leads the way, yelling at the crowd to bask in the warm glow of science. It's that sickly yellow color glow. (laughs) He's followed by the alien warrior Flash Orion that he recruited all those years ago and the masked LeBlanca, who I don't know if you know this, Bob, has a watch. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Their teammate, none other than former Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion Charles Recon, the time traveler. Why he's teaming up with these two is unclear, but a few weeks ago he did go on a bit of a winning streak, defeating six consecutive opponents. After the sixth victory, he grabbed the mic and announced, out of nowhere, that he would be teaming up with Orion and LeBlanca for the tournament, and everyone just sort of went with it because why not? Huh. I'm wondering if Charles Recon knows something? It's possible. Their opponents come out. First, the team of Overton Payne and the Brick Toss Kid, the Divided Conquerors. And uh, their tag team partner. Bob, you want to tell us a little bit about who they're teaming up with? Yes. Okay. Artemis, formerly the tag team of Artemis Gestalt. Gestalt has left the company and now Artemis in a sort of wondering about how to proceed, where to go now that she's been separated from this person who's been important to her went and sought out the help of her patron goddess. And, you know, the Greek gods don't always help out, but this time she did. And so Artemis has a different glow about her and some powers that have made some people in the company extremely uncomfortable. Let us say Watership Doom has concerns. (laughs) And just as a side note, this was because our patron Amanda was concerned about the character. It sounded very uh, dissociative identity disorder, which was definitely not our intention. And so we wanted to correct no. that and create a character that evoked all of the things that Amanda was very passionate about having in a character. And also, I think we have added in a special extra spice that will come to fruition over the course of the trios tournament. Yes. 
If you are uncomfortable with your character for any reason, you can always let us Ever. know and we will make yep. changes. We want you to be happy. That is the primary thing. So this is definitely not anything that we want to feel gross in any way to anybody who listens to this, no. and especially the people who give us money. So, well, yeah, but you know, just, uh, yeah, we just want this to be a happy, fun promotion where That's only right. the good stuff happens. And then whenever the bad stuff happens, you're still like, ah, oh, dang, but it's worth it though, because <laughs> fuck those guys. All right. So we get some good technical wrestling to start things off between pain and recon, both very kind of controlled mm. uh, technical wrestlers. But they eventually both tag out and we get some significantly less technical wrestling from Orion and the Brick Toss Kid. <laughs> Just a brawl. <laughs> At one point, Flash Orion manages to do her supernova plex, which is an exploder suplex into the corner on the Brick Toss Kid. And like the Brick Toss Kid's mad about it, but also kind of like, fuck yeah, that ruled. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. I mean, damn it. Yes. The tables do turn in that case because Orion and Recon do end up isolating the Brick Toss Kid in their corner by tagging back and forth. But strangely, they're only tagging each other, not oh. LeBlanca, who is kind of growing a little bit frustrated after a little while. One detail about Charles Recon, he does mm -hmm. have a move called Persistent Illusion, and the Brick Toss Kid is all heart and like guns out every single day in terms of like energy that the Brick Toss Kid's bringing. And right. so Charles Recon stands in the corner and the Bricktoss Kid is going to do a spear and Charles Recon phases out of reality as the oh, Bricktoss no. Kid goes for it. And the Bricktoss Kid ends up with a shoulder full of ring post, which is not good. Well, eventually the Bricktoss Kid does make the hot tag to Artemis, who just starts cleaning house, wipes <sighs> out Orion and Recon at the same time, knocks him down once. Bounces off the ropes, knocks them down again, bounces off the ropes, hits each of them at the same time with the rare double stag leap knee strike. Oh my god. Now, a weird thing happens that I think Flash Orion and LeBlanc are going to have real problems with, which is Artemis does a hip attack on Charles Recon in the corner. She calls it the full moon. And... <laughs> This person who is very goal-oriented, very focused on tasks, not emotion, blushes slightly. And what does this mean for the nature of this match, for these relationships in the company? Well, we'll have to see. We'll find out. Artemis dropping people with stag leaps, dropping people with full moons, causing individuals to question their core personality traits, mm -hmm. just out here wrecking shop. And at this point, LeBlanca has just had enough. So using the watch, she goes back in time just a couple of minutes, tags herself in, then comes back to the present as the legal wrestler. I want to note that every time LeBlanca holds up the watch to do the move, the crowd goes... What time is it? <laughs> now LeBlanca is the legal wrestler, rushes in to take on Artemis. And let me tell you, for a minute, they are going at it with huge move after huge move. Artemis puts up a really good fight, but LeBlanca is the more experienced, the more veteran wrestler and eventually does get the upper hand. <gasps> and Artemis stumbles backward under this assault and ends up tagging in Overton Payne. Overton Payne leaps at LeBlanca and he knows that the most important thing is to keep her from being able to touch the watch with that other hand. And right. so he gets her into an abdominal stretch. He calls measure twice. 
and then <laughs> is grinding the elbow into those abdominal muscles and spins into a cutter that he calls cut once. <laughs> Precision. Technical wrestling precision. <laughs> that is the best name for a move I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> LeBlanca, let me tell you, reeling from that stretch. Overton Payne prepares to finish off LeBlanca, tags in the Brick Toss Kid. They set up for a big double team maneuver, but it's too late. Even after taking all that punishment, LeBlanca has still managed to get her hands back on the watch. Hits the watch, freezes them both in place delivers moves to both and is standing over both of them, standing tall in the middle of the ring. And then, with a precise strike, Charles Recon kicks the watch off of her wrist. <gasps> LeBlanca is stunned and confused, has no idea what's happened, and Brick Toss Kid rolls her up for a three count. <gasps> Holy shit. Crowd is going crazy, but Charles Recon has a microphone, and he tells LeBlanca that the reason he came back in time was for the watch, because the watch will cause the Wrestlepocalypse. <laughs> okay. He's taking the watch, and he's taking it back to the future so it can be safely destroyed. And that is his mission, and that's what's happening now. But Miles, now that he has these maybe feelings, will he want to leave and go to the future? We'll never know, Bob. Or at least we won't know right now. Because as Charles Recon and LeBlanca both go for the watch, somebody else holds up. Is that another watch? Wait, what? Paul Jeffries is holding up some kind of technological device. It's crude, but it does resemble a watch. It's almost as though Paul Jeffries and Flash Orion have only been teaming up with LeBlanca so they can learn the secrets of the watch. (gasps) Charles Recon says, stay out of this. You know, turns to Flash Orion. He's got a plan in case Flash Orion and Paul Jeffries became a problem. He's going to tell Flash Orion the secret that Paul Jeffries has just been using her all this time. Mm-hmm. And he does. But she already knows. Oh, what? This has all been a ruse on their part to steal the watch technology from LeBlanca. All for a good cause. It's at this point the screen freezes and kind of cracks. And we go into full cinematic, like, a story told in multiple flashbacks with vague details and snatches of dialogue, recognizing that the Wrestlepocalypse is, in fact, going to happen. (gasps) Paul Jeffries uses his crude version of the watch, all its power, in one burst to take him back in time 20 or so years so that he can train to become a wrestler. Oh, my God. This is some Narnia stuff. I love it. You see flashes of Charles Recon trying to talk him out of it, trying to tell him that none of this happened in the future that he was from, and you can't just do this, And but Paul Jeffries ignores him. And we flash back to the present. Paul Jeffries puts down the burnt-out, sparking husk of the device he just activated, and Paul Jeffries removes his lab coat <gasps> and reveals that underneath his lab coat, he is fucking ripped. <laughs> 
And he comes in and reveals himself to the crowd and the crowd just goes absolutely crazy. And Charles Recon is standing there. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know. There's no more watch over there. LeBlanca seems to have somehow gotten away with her watch. (gasps) Now this new character is on the scene and Paul Jeffries and Flash Orion are a tag team dedicated to preventing the Wrestlepocalypse, which theoretically he should support. But none of this happened in his time stream and he doesn't know what to do. Oh, my God. And that's where we leave this match, Bob. Wow. Charles Recon's going to have to do a lot of journaling to process this. (laughs) Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that. It was very fun coming up with it. Again, uh, Jeff Polier, who was the inspiration for the character of Paul Jeffries, wanted to be an actual wrestler. So here you go, buddy. (laughs) Hope you enjoy that character. Hell yeah. Uh, We'll see where all of this goes. But uh, for now, the team of Artemis, Overton Payne, and the Brick Toss Kid are advancing in the Next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament. Thank you to everybody uh, who inspired these characters. Thank you to everybody who helped us out on Patreon. We really appreciate all of you, and we wouldn't be doing this probably if not for you still. So uh, just thank you so much. Yeah. And um, I shouldn't say we wouldn't be doing this if not for you. I don't want to lie to you. We'd probably still be doing this. What I mean by that is that, like, I would still want to do this podcast with Megan Bob if not for all of you out there giving us money. But because you're out there giving us money, I can justify it to my wife. (laughs) That's what you buy. You know, the other thing you buy is the fact that I would mainline all of NXT in one weekend. And that's not healthy. I would not. Well, it'd probably take a month. I would not bathe. I would not do my job. This is... This is keeping me from a life of sloven addiction to TV. The point is, we love all of you. Thank you all so much. And we will see you uh, in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Ciao. I've done that one before, but it's always fun to say. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. The weirdest part about audio editing is that you just hear these like extremely intimate sounds. I know. And you're like, like I once had to reassure Dan. I like I said, oh man, there's nose whistle on this one. And Dan was like, quiet. And I was like, it was not you, Dan.
<laughs> like, oh, thank God, because he couldn't have borne the like intense embarrassment of, of it. He's See, a professional. Which, yeah, I mean, he's like, look, I have my nose professionally like steam cleaned before every recording <laughs> to ensure that this does not happen. I am an, I am a goddamn professional. Nose whistle on my watch? I don't think so. I guess I'll just go eat popcorn all day long. Is that a high fiber food? It is actually. <laughs> oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. I've been eating flax like a chump. <laughs> you eating flax like a chump. Me, an intellectual, <laughs> eating popcorn. 